Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 35. I'm going to read verses 1 to 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's baskets on the side of the aisle there, and you can help yourself to one of those. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. You can keep that and take it home with you today. Genesis chapter 35, starting at verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Sheshem. Then they set out and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel. So it was named Alon Bakath. After Jacob returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. Let's welcome up Pastor Stewart as he comes to share today. Have you ever noticed with the passage of time how words change their meanings? For instance... Often today, when we meet other people, we say, hi, how are you? Hi. Are we talking of altitude? Are we talking of how tall I've grown? How are you? Does the person really expect you to come and give them uh, your medical history over the last five years? Try that, and of course, they'll turn off. But we, we say these things. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 1, it says... God said to Jacob. As Pastor Luke was reading that before, I wonder what thought, if anything, came into your mind at that time. God said to Jacob. Do we imagine that the voice of God could be some deep resonant voice coming down from the ceiling like Morgan Freeman in his current Mystery of God series? When you read that, God said, do you get excited? Do you wonder what it would be actually like physically to hear God's voice? I've never had that experience, but I know many people who have had just that experience. Or do we, when we read that, as Pastor Luke read it this morning, simply pass on with him to the next verse? Because we've seen those words so often. God said, oh yeah, yeah, I know that. On we go. People often think that pastors have their own personal, private NBN connection to heaven. 
Of course, younger pastors probably do. They are all linked into the internet. They have, they're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. They're on Skype. They're all on LinkedIn. But as for me, I'm a little bit hard of hearing. I keep asking God when he speaks with me, would you please make it to be like it was in Belshazzar's feast in Daniel chapter 5, where a finger appeared on the wall and wrote, Mine, Mine, Tekel, you fast, and you're found in the balances. And Well, no, no, I wouldn't want that sort of message, thank you. But I would like it as clear as that. Because being an old fellow, well, my hearing is not that good. In spite of our hearing difficulties, nevertheless, I dare to believe that God really does desire, in whatever form he chooses, to communicate with us. And in Genesis chapter 35, if we replace the name Jacob with your name, God said to Mary, Bill, Frank, Adelaide, whatever, If your name is there, what would you hope the next words would be? There's so much static, so much interference in our lives, it's difficult to hear God. But he does speak by his word, by his spirit. Genesis 35 verse 1, it says, God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. And whatever were Jacob's thoughts at that time when he heard the voice of God, one thing is for sure. We know the context in which all of this was happening because Jacob was in big trouble again. We all like to think that we will intentionally, seriously seek God just for who he is. But the reality is that most of us don't seek after him that much until we are in a situation of need beyond our ability to control or to get a good outcome. For children, this might be when they've done some misdemeanor, Mother says, you wait until your father comes home. Poor old dad, he has to administer whatever justice is appropriate for the family. For students, oh, they will certainly seek God just before exam times. For husbands, it's if we're running late coming home from work again and we stayed back just to get a little bit more work done, but we promised our wives that we would be home on time, have the meal on the table by 6.45. I promise you I'll be there, and it's now 7.30. Oh, do we ever start to pray? (laughs) And of course, we all seek God seriously when incurable sickness threatens ourselves or someone close to us. Let's be honest. That's the way it is. Well, it was no different for Jacob. He was in the midst of a family crisis. Genesis chapter 34, we read that his daughter Dinah had gone wandering off through the fields. She wanted to visit some neighbors, and she had been espied by the son of the local chieftain, Sechem. He liked her. He took her. He raped her. 
And when Jacob's sons found out about this, they were furious. But then Sechem fell in love with her. And he wanted to restore her honor by marrying her. When Jacob was asked to give his daughter's hand in marriage and claim whatever dowry he asked, his sons replied that, yes, the girl would be permitted to marry him, but the dowry would be an unusual exception. The foreskins, that is circumcision, of all the local males. And Sechem, being the powerful young man he was, made all of his friends agree to that. Three days later, when they were still somewhat incapacitated, because that was a rather painful operation for adult males without the benefit of anesthetic, while they're in that state, Jacob's sons swooped in and slaughtered the lot of them. They stole all of their wealth. They plundered everything they could, taking their women and their children. And then Jacob rightly understands now would be a good time to flee the scene before the extended relatives of nearby tribes came in and attacked them. So, best time to move? Let's go. Where do we go in a time of crisis? Back to Bethel. Back to God's house, the place where he first met with God 14 or 15 years previously. That's Jacob. So how is it with us today? Often, unless we are confronted by some sudden crisis, as Jacob was, we mostly quietly drift along day by day, week by week, month by month, year one year follows another, not really requiring too much from God. The onset of deafness is seldom sudden. It's usually a gradual process. I know about these things because those of us who are classified as seniors, we get all the benefit that your taxes pay for. We have hearing tests free of charge every two years. And I go along with my wife and my wife goes with a big smile on her face. They're going to get you this year, Stuart. And every time I come out with an absolute perfect test. And she says, how do you do that? You're cheating. Because the problem is, you see, when we were first married, I would anticipate my wife's slightest wish and I would move immediately to fulfill that wish, whatever it was. But, hey, we've been married almost 50 years. Things have changed a little bit. And a strange thing happens that when my wife wants me to do something, this hearing defect kicks in. <laughs> She wanted me to repair the back door. And I did, after 15 months. I mean, to do it immediately, how boringly predictable would life become? But to do it after 15 months, what a surprise. Now we'll have a big celebration. Does anyone else have this hearing problem? Uh, maybe I should ask the wives. Does your husband have this hearing problem? <laughs> Very convenient. <laughs> and often, with the daily repetitive events of our lives, 
our hearing channels get somewhat blocked up. And to unblock them, it needs an explosive device of crisis proportion to reopen their channels of our hearing. Jacob was in deep trouble. And at last, his hearing device was turned on and tuned in. And he heard God say, go up to Bethel. But there's a strange thing here. Note that God doesn't speak in the first person. He, he doesn't say, uh, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar uh, to me. No, he says, build an altar to God. What's that about? Could it be that he was speaking across the years to this previously preoccupied servant, Jacob, of a former relationship? Because when Jacob faced what he thought was a death-dealing crisis, fleeing from the fury of his older brother Esau, whom he had cheated again, it was there that he had a meeting with God, this particular place. And that was his first personal encounter with God. So on this occasion, God says, go back to where you first or you used to know me, where you encountered me, where you experienced my presence those 14 or 15 years ago. And as with God, so with us mere human beings, the most passionate relationship can become dull, boring, repetitive, unless it receives constant encouraging attention. That's how divorce creeps up on what started out as otherwise wonderful marriages. And in the case of our relationship with God, he may have to speak to us across the years of time which has passed and say to us, do you remember when you really loved me? Do you recall when we walk so closely together. Do you remember what it was like on Sunday church time, how you used to look forward to going there eagerly, and in those services there were things which deeply touched you? Do you remember how you used to get out of bed so early in the morning, and there you'd kneel and you'd pray, and, and I would listen in to your prayers, and, I, and you read my word, and I would speak to you through my, from my word. Do you remember the expectancy, the enthusiasm that you would look forward to meeting with other believers? Do you remember when you delighted to speak to other people about me whenever there was opportunity? Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? Most of us would recognize that some drunk, drugged-out, homeless person on the gutter and the side of the road is not seriously seeking after God. But what about us? Could it be that the sheer repetition of our religious practice of turning up to a meeting on Sunday, 
singing some nice songs, maybe waving a hand occasionally, casually in the air. The offering container comes by, so we put something in that. The speaker goes on and on, droning, not Pastor Luke, of course, it's the visiting speakers that are the worst. And in the midst of all of that, a thought pops into your mind. Is this as good as it gets? What if someone were to stand up in our midst right now, uninvited, and shout out, hey, there's more to it than this. I need God. And I will not be satisfied with my current relationship. Help me. What would be your response if that happened? How would you react? Notice how Jacob prepared to approach the place of God at Bethel. He knew that to close in on God, something, there was a prerequisite which we hardly ever hear mentioned in our Christian communities today. It was the factor of holiness. And so it says in Genesis 35 verse 2, Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes and then come, let us go up to Bethel. And so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods they had, the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them. And then, and only then were they ready to go up to meet with God. You see, these foreign influences had come into their lives ever so gradually because of the culture and the times in which they were living. And the same processes affect us today in the culture and the times in which we live. You want God? You want relief? You want refreshment? You want serious change? Then you need to do what Jacob did. Start by getting rid of the encumbrances, the magazines, the DVDs. Delete the internet images, the values of friends, the peer pressure which has been upon you through alleged friends and their values have formed gradually your behavior and allow yourself to be convicted by whatever the Holy Spirit wants to say to you that needs dealing with today. We can't skip over this. Everybody loves to party, but no one wants the pain. Everyone wants the power of the resurrection, but you cannot go there unless you do it via Calvary and the cross, the crucifixion. And we need to ask ourselves as we're here today, how did I get into the situation I have in my heart Hatred, I'm not surprised. 
as I lay on a physiotherapist's couch, a Christian couch, Christian physiotherapist, was telling me the other day how much she hated her mother-in-law. <laughs> Poor mother-in-law. We have hatred in my heart against someone in authority or some relative or a former friend. Why is there this anger, this bitterness, this, this grief which consumes me? We have to get to the place where we're honest before God because he knows what's inside of us, hidden away from everybody else, and say, Lord, I have lost my joy, my delight, my liberty, the power that I once knew. And I confess to you that I'm hurt, I'm guilty, I'm bitter, I'm jealous, I've got resentment, but I want to do something about it today. I have not been in a good relationship with my spouse, my husband, my wife, or my children, or my parents. But God, I'm going to do something about it to be cleaned up today. In Genesis chapter 35 verse 7, when Jacob arrived at Bethel, he named the place El Bethel. He was not looking for some place where in former years he'd had an experience of God. He wasn't going back to an empty tomb-type place. He was looking for the God of that place. He didn't want to go just to the house of God. There's nothing wrong with memories, but that's all they are. There will be places where many of us can recall where God visited us in certain ways. We all have those memories. But we need the God behind the memories. We need the reality behind the doctrines in which we say we believe. We cannot go through life thinking backwards on dusty, nostalgic images. And neither did Jacob. He went up to Bethel, the house of God, and he renamed it El Bethel, the God of the house of God. If God responded this morning to the yearning which is deep within the hearts of some of you, what might that look like? Well, it'll be unpredictable. Let me tell you what it might look like. Listen to this. It was way back in 1975 before many of you were even born or thought of. In an unlikely place, in an unsuitable time, it was the North Mexico Conference of the United Methodist Church. And there... In the midst of their solemn discussions, God turned up. And it happened in the little town of Renoza in Mexico. And from that place, because of what happened, a great revival swept out across Mexico from Tampico to Baja, California. Gathered in thousands of Mexicans into the kingdom of God. 
And from that place, lay witness teams went out across the country. There was established a first-class Bible college called the John Wesley Seminary, and its president was the great Dr. Balthazar Gonzalez. And when asked what happened on that day, what gave rise to this explosion of new life, he said this, It started not with me, but with a little barefooted 10-year-old peasant girl called Lily Garcia. She had no money for shoes, but we gave her a ragged Bible. She came all alone to church without her family, and she sat on the front row with her legs dangling over because her feet would not reach the floor. She sat on the edge of the seat every Sunday. But poor, ignorant, skinny, 10-year-old Lily Garcia fell in love with God in a way which only a child can do and which we need to follow. One Sunday morning, Dr. Gonzalez had just finished his preaching and he asked the congregation, everyone to stand for the benediction, and they all gradually struggled to their feet, wiping the sleep out of their eyes. But at that point, before anything else could happen, little Lily Garcia came from her seat and stood in the center of the church before the pulpit. And she said, Un momento, pastore. One moment, pastor. I have a question. Last night I was reading in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, and there it says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who seek him? And then she said, The Lord, he speaketh to me. Lily Garcia, the Lord has a Mexican accent. Lily Garcia, go to church tomorrow and ask and you will receive. So, Pastore, I am here and I am asking right now. The pastor was a little taken aback. So quickly he regained his composure and he said, no, no, Lily, we're all trying to receive the Holy Spirit every Sunday, every hymn that we sing, every message we preach. We're all trying to receive the Holy Spirit. Just go back to your seat. We're going to have the benediction now. But little Lily, she stamped her bare foot on the concrete and she said, no, 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 not like that, not like that, Pastor. I want to receive. God, he's speaking to me. I want to receive this morning, right now. The pastor didn't know what to do. We pastors have tricks. When we don't know what to do, we'll say, well, let's pray. Well, I'll work out what I'm going to do here. And the pastor decided to take into his hand the Methodist prayer book and to say a prayer over Lily which was in the prayer book. It was the prayer used for the confirmation of children. 
And one of the sentences in that prayer is a dim memory of what used to happen back there in Pentecost. And it says this, By the power of thy Holy Spirit, O Lord, may all sinful affection in this your servant die out. Well, when you translate that into simple thought, it's a petition for the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit to fall upon someone. And so the God who knew little Lily's heart answered by fire under the unbelieving hand of Dr. Baltazar Gonzalez. And God filled her there and then with his spirit. Tears began to run down Lily's cheeks. She began to speak in a strange language. She threw her hands in the air. She fell to the floor. And the pastor, uh, Gonzalez, he said, we watched her like we're watching a house burn down. She began to weep, to laugh, to jump up and down. We just, we just stared at her. And then a spirit of prophecy came on this child. And she climbed up in her bare feet and stood on the communion rail, which ran around the platform. And then she began to call out the names of sophisticated businessmen in our congregation whom she had never met. Ignacio Garcia, God, he has revealed to me that you are having an affair with a woman who is not your wife. You needed to repent. Carlos Guzman, you are embezzling money from the company you work for. You must repent. And so powerful what was happening that not one person left, not one person defended themselves. They got up, they came forward, and they fell at her feet. And the pastor said, I watched in shock as this 10-year-old peasant girl began to pray for businessmen and God began to pour out his spirit upon them. And then their wives began to come. The children began to come. The whole church began to come, he says. And people were being slain in the spirit, speaking in other tongues, laughing, weeping. And I was the pastor who was in the midst of all this. And I got up there and I said, go back, go back, go back. This is not the Methodist way. But as the pastor moved amongst his people, God spoke to Baltazar Gonzalez and said, Baltazar, my son, what are you doing? This is my hand and you are in the way. And the pastor cried out, stop, stop. This revival cannot go on until I receive the Holy Spirit. And so the senior pastor the great Dr. Baltazar Gonzalez came and knelt at the feet of this skinny, barefooted, ten-year-old girl and asked her to pray for him. And he received a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on his life. Then it went out across the nation. God is not waiting for some great church or any church leader to vote on revival. He's only waiting for some hungry soul somewhere to stand up and say, I used to know God better than I do. I used to love him more than I do. 
And I'm not going to continue like this. I'm going back to Bethel. I'm going back to find the God of that place. And if it's the last thing that I do. King David in Psalm 42 verse 1 says, As the deer pants for cooling water, so my soul longs and pants after you, O God. And he did not write those words as someone who never knew God. He wrote them as someone who had known God before, but something had gone wrong, and he needed to come back to get to know him again as he once formally did. We cannot live on last year's experiences. We need God. We need him today. And we need to pray, Lord, I need you in my marriage. I need your help to raise our children. I need your help in my singleness to remain pure and celibate. I need you in the place of occupation where nobody even there probably knows that I'm a Christian. I need a fresh touch from you. I don't want to go on playing church any longer. I've got to have you. Touch me, Lord. Come again to me today. Let's pray. Here's what we're going to do. If you're someone in the cry of your heart would be, Lord, don't let me leave this place in the same state I was in when I came in, when I arrived here. Lord, would you meet with me today? I'm like Jacob. I'm like the great Baltazar Gonzalez. I need you. I want to get back, not just to Bethel, but to El Bethel, to meet, to experience the God of all eternity. Father, would you deal with me today? Clean out my blocked hearing channels, the garbage I have allowed to seep into my life. If that's you today, God's language toward us is always grace. Our response to him is obedience. So if the Spirit is touching you, while everyone else is prayerful, as a sign of your intention to God, I invite you to stand and I'm going to pray for you. The rest of you, keep praying. Keep your eyes closed. It's a private moment between the many who are standing, longing for renewal of a relationship with God. Anymore, if the Spirit is moving in your life, don't let the opportunity go by. And it won't stop here. You'll need to be taking additional steps. 
but it can stop here. Anymore, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, you see us here today standing in the midst of your people before you. And we stand with a longing in our hearts. We ask you today to clean out our minds, to break unworthy habits, to rekindle our zeal. Heavenly Father, we freely confess we've lost some of our joy, our delight, our liberty that we formerly knew. We're going deaf and we're at a place where we almost can't hear you. We believe even that you don't speak today. Help us, Father, we pray. We don't want to play at just coming to church anymore. We know we can't buy our way into heaven. Father, would you touch us today? We long for you. We long for your touch again. Anyhow, anyway, Touch us, Lord. We will put things right. We will do anything. But we don't want tomorrow to be like yesterday. Break open the channels. You are our heart's desire. As the deer pants, so we also long for you. Because you alone are Lord and God. Hear us. In our need, Holy Spirit, sweep across this place and touch those who so seek you today, granting to them a fresh beginning of new life. In Jesus' name, amen.